0: Roaming through Romans, uh, falls on chapter 13, which has everything to do with our status and our standing in the kingdom and how we stand, posture ourselves on earth. We're citizens of heaven, we're citizens of whatever nation we're part of, and uh, so we need God's help, don't we, to, to translate and give us wisdom. So Father, we come before you And we thank you that when hard times come upon a land, you told Solomon that your name was on this place and that when famine and drought and pestilence and plague came, that if your people called by your name humbled themselves and prayed and sought your face, that you would hear from heaven. And you would forgive their collective sins and you would heal the land of your promise. So God, we come before you confessing that we need you, humbly acknowledging that it's not our work, but the work of Christ in us and through us that gives us status to stand boldly before your throne. And we ask for Mercy, we find it and we ask for grace to help in this time and open our hearts and minds, renew our minds that we would be transformed and not conformed to the, fa- the fads and fashions of this age in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 So we've been in Romans, I just wanna give you some overall perspective. Romans, if you read Romans 1, the first eight verses or so, you discover that this letter was concerning the gospel, the good news of God that's in Christ Jesus, you know, and his finished work. But why Jesus is the gospel? I mean, he's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He is the resurrection of the dead who died and destroyed death and brought Uh, a new dimension and a new beginning to our existence and has given it to you. He's given you new standing, you're standing here, you're sitting here as an assembly, you're seated as the ecclesia of God and your names are written in heaven. You have standing as royal priests. You have identity as a holy nation. You're called sons and daughters of the living God. I love that song that we were singing, just the chorus Sons and Daughters, we have the victory. And this is the gift. So, but Jesus came, I mean, one of the main needs for the incarnation was that. We couldn't understand God and many of us still struggle to understand this invisible God. Jesus is the explanation, the exposition, the exegesis of the unseen Father, his person and work. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God but the only God or only begotten God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus said, if you see, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do, I only do what I see my Father doing. Now what's amazing is so Jesus makes the, the invisible attributes and nature of God somewhat known to us. And, and the New Testament does the same. The, the writings of Paul and the Peter and John, James and Jude, and the, the preaching revealed there, the teaching revealed there, makes, explains, exposits, exegetes, the person and work of Jesus the Christ. And so we read in Ephesians 3.8, Paul is, is rejoicing in this, that to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach, to declare to the Gentiles, to evangelize the Gentiles, the nations, with the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse nine, to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What a calling. This is what we get when we, why we study, like, well, you know, I just want the red letter edition. Nothing against the red letter, but you understand every bit of scripture is breathed out by God for our instruction, and it's like there's so much revelation in these epistles, and they're holy, they're breathed out, they're the word of God. Do you understand, when you're reading, when you're, when you're having an encounter with the scriptures, no matter where, you're having an encounter with the living word of God, with God the word. So I just encourage you, God, just we pray for a grace that in all our studies, and all our, our, that we would find Christ in every book of the Bible. All right, so let's go on. But not only that, you are a letter from God. You are an explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read from the message, paraphrase, 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses two and three. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it. Isn't that amazing? And not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled in stone, but carved into human lives. God release that in our lives. Sometimes we forget who we are, you know, we get all hung up in legalism and the rules to follow and all of these things. And so I just want, I, my, my desire is that you would know who you are. So Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans deal with salvation, 9, 10, and 11 with a special focus on the role of Israel, God's dealings with Israel, and the future of Israel. But then in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, we really get into the application of that salvation as we live transformed lives. It, that in light of the mercies of God, we present ourselves. We live every day, every moment, every place out of gratitude for his glory. Our minds are renewed and we're transformed by the by deep meditation and continual focus on these realities. And it frees us so that we're... we're we, have a transformation rather than a conforming, being squeezed into the mold of this world that we live in. Okay, so now we come to chapter 13 in special focus, and so this is quite a chunk, but it's actually all, it's one of the best chapter divisions, I think, in, in the Bible, because it all relates to how we live in love in relationship to authority, in relationship to the promises and, of God, the future, and how we stay centered in this love, this supernatural love that characterizes us, that he's made you a temple of the Holy Spirit. So these aren't like rules, these are, this is like wisdom, chokmah, like how to, how to reach your full potential in this world. As our friend Lance would say, how to live at level 10, you know, which is, he got that idea from John 10.10. 10. He came to give you abundant life. So the first, let's start, and I'm just gonna read, which I don't normally do, but I'm gonna read through the first, uh, the verses and kind of the topics, one through four. Our authority and the, and the real issues there are submission, fear, and wrath, which all sound kinda of scary. Romans 13:1. let every person, every person, <laughs> that's like, oh, are no exceptions? Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. <laughs> Verse 3, are you scared yet? Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Hmm. Verse four, for he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong door. Oh, Jesus, help us. Verse four, now we get into the issue of, that's just, you know, be a good citizen because of fear and wrath, and also be a good citizen in relationship to conscience and taxes. For by the grace of God, verse four, given to me, I say to everyone, there it is again. Everyone must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Pay taxes again and again. For the authorities are, the, are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And we'll get into I, we're going to focus on this, um, and you'll actually be relieved by what you find out. But in case you're scared now, hang on. You know, this is dramatic tension. You, you're going to be saved in the end. <laughs> we have the victory, sons and daughters. Okay. But then the next section, starting with verse 8, uh, verse 8 through 10, deal with that all of this is about love. You know, it's so easy for us to get, get hung up in rules. You know, I used to say that religion, the spirit of religion always starts sentences with, you should, or shouldn't this church, or shouldn't the pastor. And years ago, I gave permission to everyone back on 13th Street to tell people, stop shooting on me. You have to be very careful how you say that. But it's like, Like we're not living under an obligation to rules. We're living out of divine love and creativity and freedom and everything that is in him. You're the temple of the living God. Romans Owe no one anything except to love one another or each other for the one who loves has fulfilled the law, hooray. Uh, Nine, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, et cetera, et cetera. Murder, don't don't steal, don't covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that great? It makes it simple. And that rule never changes. That is the royal law, according to James. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's one of the ways we know what love does and what love doesn't do. And now, but not only do we live in love, but we are people of hope, and sometimes we don't emphasize this enough. But, you know, Jesus said, I will return. The angels said, you know, he will return. This same Jesus that you saw ascending is going to come back in the same way. And so we live with that expectation, and verse 11 starts out, besides this, you know the time, the kairos, that we're in a season, and. The, For now, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Sorry, I have this all memorized in King James from my early days with Jesus. But the night is far gone or far spent. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Don't do bad stuff. That's in verse 13, you know, orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling and jealousy are all not part of who you are. Okay? Don't do it. Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. Usually we won't get into big trouble if we don't plan ahead for things that are contrary to the kingdom of God. So that's that's the whole chapter. And uh, don't, Thank you, Lord. For So how is this wisdom? And how do we deal with, with like, wait. Okay, so I'm in love, but it says, let every person be subject to the governing authority. So subject, that's a key word to understanding this. Subject there, we could use the words, be submissive. So there's two, two choices that are, we have here. One is submit, and one is obey. Now, submit, especially if you're, uh, a woman, and you've been abused by this at the hands of an immature husband, just saying, well, how would I know that? <laughs> okay, ask Anne. Okay, when we were, when we were first married, because I was just doing what I saw my friends doing. But anyway, and I read it in the Bible, so, submit. That never worked. Um, but actually it did, because what I really wanted was obey. Obey means you do whatever you're told. Submit means you recognize and take your place in the divine order. So actually, if I were to take the lead in the divine order because the husband is the head, then it would have been really easy for, and at all times to submit, no matter how young and new we were out of the whole hippie counterculture, feminism, anarchy stuff that was part of our, of our history before we came to the Lord. But submit means take your place. Well, men, i got a news for you. Your place is to love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's my place in the divine order. At which point, how many know if women, you just think about it. If Jesus was your husband, you'd be perfect, right? It'd just be like, it'd be so easy. To know him is to love him and all that stuff. But but we actually know him by obeying him. You know, but it's like, so this word submit has to do with our place in the order of, of government right here, so... I, I've dug a hole here, and I'm going to get out before I dig deeper. OK. So be every person be subject to the governing force. So no authority except from God. Those who resist will incur judgment. I'm just picking and choosing here. but that's, so this is the, the first issue is that we understand submission. So even if I disagree with the government, if I don't disown it, I'm taking my place. And so um, authority is from God, is the second point. This is what God has instituted. Because God, see, what really, Paul is speaking in general terms here. He's not, like these aren't rules. These aren't rules like every person must be subject to every government at all times. Because we'll see that Romans 13, it doesn't make sense if we hold it up against the whole council of scripture you know, like all the evil kings that are recorded in the Old Testament, all the evil kings that existed in the Roman Empire. But he's giving general advice. Like, if you want to get along well, do your best to honor the the order. Okay? And so he, does that make sense? Okay, so why? Well, because, you know, um, you could get arrested, beat up, uh, all kinds of things if you don't. How uh, authority is from God. Daniel four seventeen. Daniel said this it, it is his prologue to interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's scary dream of of this big tree that was chopped down and and the root, the stump was bound up for seven years. And he said, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So. Be, Because God picks us for a thing, doesn't mean we're hot stuff. He just picked us, okay? So he picked Nebuchadnezzar to rule there. But um, then it advises us to do good avoiding judgment so we won't be afraid. So here's the deal, If if you go steal things, you're probably worried that you'll get caught and you'll get thrown in jail or worse, you know. And so, or if you do something that you know is wrong, if you have a guilty conscience, you're afraid. You're just, you know, there's this, or else you're completely reprobate and and have nothing. But now we get into the issue of God's plan and what Paul is doing, He's, he's presenting the norm and obviously there's deviations from the norm. He's presenting the state as fulfilling God's ideal for government, which is to punish evil and reward good. But when we live in a situation where the government is punishing good and rewarding evil, and often it's not universal, it's just in selected areas then we recognize that the government is not in submission to the order of God. Even though it's in that position, it's not in submission to his purposes. And so we have this, I mean, Proverbs 29, two, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. And when we have good leaders, you know, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But when we have leaders who are not not serving God, but are serving a small G God, or are against big G God, then, the promises don't hold together. Still, we live because he's writing to the Romans. They lived at the capital of the whole world at that time, with very sketchy, you know, different experiences in governance, government, depending on who the Caesar was, what the current situation was. So he's he's expecting them to use their brains. Okay, this is Hokma, wisdom, and. Uh, And so, but it says, when the wicked rule, the people groan. This Proverbs 29.2, righteous increase, people rejoice, the wicked rule, people groan. And so, you know, we're in a situation where we have wicked people who've been, are in power. You know, and and I'm not speaking against them as personality, I'm speaking in terms of what they're serving you know, we have a president who's promised or said he's going to make it his first priority to codify a quote right to murder babies. It's like, well, that's pretty hard to swallow. We we also have a governor in the state who has vetoed every pro-life, every parental information, every pro- and it, so it's like, whoa, is this good? The answer is no. Okay. Do we honor them in their office? Yes. Do we obey everything they say? No. <laughs> so, so, But see, if we don't understand how, you know, that there's nuances to this. So let me read from a scholar who was commenting on this. At the very least, under circumstances involving a collapse of justice, the Christian community is obligated, obliged to voice its criticism of the state's failure. We must speak up. (laughs) Pointing out the deviation from the divinely ordained pattern. Subjection to the state is not to be confused with unthinking, blind, docile conformity. Hooray! God gave you a brain. God gave you the capacity for the living word of God to inform and give you a renewed mind. Now, obviously, we can't, if we're just jerks, we're not in love. Just using language you can all understand. So, to stay in love, we stay in honor. To stay in love, we're living in a creative space where nothing is impossible because. If we live in love, we live in God, and God lives in us, and with God, nothing is impossible not your business, not your family, not the state, not our nation, nothing is impossible. So we can get totally discouraged if we just study the news and see how terrible it is, or we can spend time with God and he will release solutions and strategies that can transform not only your personal life, your personal marriage, your business, your relationship with your children, all these things, which we can't discuss in great detail obviously today, but. But I'm telling you, it's the Garden of Eden when you get in his presence. Sons and daughters, we have the victory. Just saying. So, and we see this, that it's not like this conformity and docility. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles got arrested and told that they were forbidden to speak the name of Jesus. In Acts 5:29. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I wonder if they all said it at the same time. Like, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of a fun thought. And so then the... The constituted authorities, because the Sanhedrin had recognized authority, not only religiously, but the Roman Empire recognized the Sanhedrin as having governmental sway over the people of Judea and uh, Galilee and th- Decapolis, and wherever the people identified as Jewish people, they had authority. And thus, thus Pilate said, look, just try them under your laws. He wouldn't say that if they didn't have authority. You try them under, then they said, well, we're not permitted to execute anybody. Ooh, so we want them tried under Roman laws. (laughs) Interesting. So, but, so, they, so, we're dealing here with being subject to instituted authority, or not. I mean, they're being submissive, but they're not being docile. And so they answer in verse 40 after they were told, okay, they all, the Sanhedrin went together, they conferred, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna, okay, we better let them go because otherwise the people will stone us, but we're gonna strictly charge them not to mention the name of this man, Jesus. And when they called the apostle, verse 40, they beat them. That'll, that'll make them listen, and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Okay, we did our job. And then they let them go and thought, we got it done. Verse 41, you know, they went back into their coffee room and they said, how'd it go? Great, man, we beat them up and we told them not to speak and they left. Ah, good job. However, it didn't turn out that way because when they left, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In other words, as soon as they got out, it was like the glory of God came upon them. They started rejoicing because you have a joy unspeakable that's full of glory. When we count it joy, something happens. They were supernaturally recharged. And then look what they did. Good citizens, verse 42. And every day... (laughs) <laughs> in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Come on, it's like, so they were, they were submitting, but they weren't being docile. They recognized, they said, we just can't do that. We're under a higher authority that we must. And so we, we, want, we don't wanna be stupid. You know, we can, like, oh, I'm not gonna pay taxes because I'm a citizen of heaven, why should I pay taxes? They're using it for all kinds of bad things. And Jesus said, whose image is on this coin? You know, pay your taxes, stay out of jail, it's good. you know. And, and uh, if you get put in jail for, for doing something that's super important, that's great. But paying your taxes falls in the category of just, I recognize what the condition I'm in, I do not like it that the Department of Defense is now spending taxpayer dollars for abortions. It's horrible. So we need a solution for this. The solution is probably not armed rebellion. It's probably something that's gonna be moved by prayer and by our mouths being open and by the fact that we pray, we vote, and we go after the restoration of our nation. Wouldn't you say? Okay. Because, but we have to stay in love. The wisdom is found in love. Because love is always aiming for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the abundant life. The the life abundantly, this overflowing. that When it's well with our soul, health and prosperity come. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. It doesn't add sorrow. Of course, there's warfare in this world, but we we rejoice, we count it all joy, and it ends up transforming us and bringing us into reward. So how do we do this? How do we navigate? So we get these rules, you know, like don't have church, wear masks, all these things, you know, which are now a little past tense, so no hot button issues. But, you know, some of us are in jobs where where we're required to put our pronouns after our email address and all kinds of things. What do we do? How do we navigate that? God, give us wisdom. God, give us insight. And here's what, we're not fighting as we're not just subjects of the state. Our status is that we're children of God that we were created in his image and likeness. We were redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb. We've been appointed as royal priests. Amen. And so it's, so, but let's just look at the status uh, because if we don't see the status, we'll be intimidated. Goliath, the Philistines, and Israel faced off on the hills on either side of the valley of Elah. And the, I hope I got that valley right. Some of my Israel scholars will correct me if I'm wrong, but, and so on one side were the Philistines and the other side were the, and so they said, look, you know, we don't want everybody to die. Let's just pick two guys, they can duke it out. And if we win, you're our slaves. And if we lose, we'll be your slaves. Deal, deal. They were called champions. So the champion for the Philistines was this hulk of a man named Goliath, who was 10 feet tall, nine and a half, 10 feet tall, big guy. Maybe one of, you know, he's related to the Anakim, the Rephaim, and all these mysterious race of people. And he's, he's the secret weapon of the Philistines. And so he would come out and go, I dare you, come out, I'll feed you to the birds. And all of Israel's army saw how big he was, and they were panicked. Every day they'd run away. Ah! You know, so they'd just run away and hide in their tents, hide behind a tree. None of them would volunteer to go out and be the champion until David came. And David, who wasn't large of stature, didn't see Goliath's stature. He saw his status. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Not only did he see Goliath's status, he saw his own status as part of the army of the living God. And so with courage, he walked into a miracle with courage and trust in God, that God is with him. He was with me when I faced a lion and a bear. He'll be with me when I face this uncircumcised Philistine. And the issue was his status, that he wasn't in covenant with God. So what if we stand up against things that seem more powerful to us, but we're not standing because we're smarter, braver, bigger, badder, but because of our status, before God, which requires hearing him. <laughs> so, you know, we are created in the image of God, which means that's our status. It's not talking about our ability. It's talking about our status. It makes all life sacred. It means there's no room for racism, injustice, or abuses of power at work, at home, or in in government in our lives. And then it's it, but because of the image of God, every, we know every human being is created in the image of God. So we treat all human beings as if their life is sacred, which, avo- which means we don't get into the bad mouthing of people. So, and uh, mean tweets and Facebook posts with people we don't agree with. I mean, just seek the Lord. That's all I'm saying. So, but we respond, our response is in love out of status that we pray for America and we believe God hears us. That we vote in a couple of weeks and we believe our vote counts. And if you haven't registered to vote, then I just want to say, fast and pray. Fast and pray. This is, you know, penance. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm just saying, don't be condemned. Be believing. Say, God, I'm coming to you. Do you know he runs to the aids of those who need his help? So I just say, hey, if you can't vote fast and pray that day, it'll be good. And then here's the last point, and I want to get our band back up here if it's possible. But every day in every way, we stand for truth, biblical truth. Would you agree that that's part of it? That this is part of our warfare, having done all, we stand. And what stand means is you're put. Like, here I am, if I live, I live, if I die, I die. Esther stood before the king in that stance. And so what if that's our stance? So what would we stand for? Well, we might stand for saving babies in the womb. Would you agree with that? And we know there are forces trying to erase state level protection. In fact, our president said, I'm gonna to try to nationalize, codify what was in Roe v. Wade, which has now been evacuated as unconstitutional. That They're fighting to ensure that taxpayers pay for abortions. And, and, uh, they're, and even now, they're bypassing state pro-life laws by, by mail order, chemical, Abortions. And I said, so how many of you would say, I'm gonna stand to uphold the dignity of every human life, including the unborn? Okay, why don't you stand up? Because I just have a few more questions here and then we're gonna celebrate our status, okay? The second thing that might be worth standing for is to protect our children from indoctrination. And, And so, yep, there are forces that are promoting the teaching of critical race theory, even though it's like, it's so crazy. It's just racism 2.0 or 4.0, whatever it is. And they're seeking to expose children to explicit sexual contact and gender identity ideology, even in kindergarten. Like we, what? And they're working to undermine the parents' right to determine what their children are taught in the classroom. So I got the second question. Will you stand for the sake of the children? Okay, they're the future. Third thing regards God's design, his image. And there are forces, LGBTQ activists. A friend of mine said, yeah, do you believe in LGBT? Yes, I say, let God be True. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) But uh, anyway, that's not what they mean by it. But they're seeking to subject children to experimental gender transition procedures. They're seeking to allow biological males to compete in women's sports and use women's bathrooms and locker rooms. Insane. They're seeking to push a radical agenda in public schools and our military. It's happening. So here's my third question. Will you speak truth regarding God's design for men and women? We're going to stand. God help us. You know, Martin Luther stood before the religious authorities of his day, and they wanted him to recant of things he'd said but he was convinced of biblical truth and he spoke these famous lines here I stand I can do no other you know that but it was based on biblical truth and he not only I mean he didn't just change his life he changed the course of history so and then the fourth thing last thing well I've got five the fourth thing is we would we stand for safeguarding parental rights okay good Because there are forces at work to call parents who care about children's education domestic terrorists and put them on the FBI watch list. From the Department of Justice, there are forces that would would try to force parents to affirm their child's gender identity and sexual orientation or risk losing custody. This is already happening. That would allow children to get abortions without parental consent. It's happening in California. It might be happening here in Pennsylvania for all I know. So here's the question. Will you support the God-given right of parents to protect their children? Yes. We're told, teach your children. Read Deuteronomy. And then uh, the last one is upholding natural marriage. And of course the activists have, have, are, have won a lot of this field, but it's temporary. And we don't want them to ever get a final victory in this, but they're seeking to force the celebration of the L++, the L++ lifestyle on the American public. How do they do that? They go to Christian bakers, they go to Christian uh, fl- you know, florists, Christian photographers, and they say, come celebrate this that's against God's design. You know? So uh, they're, they're seeking to expand the federal definition of marriage, and they've succeeded at a, at a federal level through the Obergefell decision, which again is temporary. It's unconstitutional <laughs> to include same-sex couples. And then they're seeking to indoctrinate the children into radically, radical sexual ideology. So last question, will you boldly stand for what God's word says about marriage and sexuality? I'm just saying, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're liberators. We're not just free ourselves, but we're bringing freedom to the world around us. That's why they said we cannot stop speaking because our word is a word of life it's a word of liberty and so i, I just thought we could celebrate a little bit can you sing the chorus of that sons and, daughter thing? Sons and daughters culture trying to squeeze you into its mold, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. When we abide in his word, we become his disciples. We're prepared and equipped to take our place as royal priests. And I just want to say to you, you have more power on your knees than all the kings and queens and parliaments and congresses and presidents and governors in the world. You have a status with God to intercede. He said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. God, so we clean our act up as we spend time with him, stuff we thought was okay. Suddenly it's like, that's not good. And as we do that, as he hears from heaven, he forgives our sins, so there's nothing between us and, and the status he has for us, and he heals our land. We believe this. We believe this. And I just want to commission you again to walk in boldness with mercy, to walk in power with love. And I want to pray again this prayer we've been praying. I've been praying quite a bit from the pulpit from Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, look upon the threats. Look upon the threats of the radical left, the Marxist agenda, the the LGBT agenda. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That our mouths would be open in conversations, in workplaces that we wouldn't be afraid or intimidated or canceled while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now here's, here's the wisdom in this. So we can be in situations where we are you know, a minority of one, but you and the Holy Spirit make a majority. So what, what is needed is a creative wisdom in those darkest places. His rod and staff will comfort us. So I wanna pray right now, and I want you to lift your hands and expect it, and then I'll release you on time. (laughs) Thank you. The uh, Holy Spirit, would you give us words of knowledge in the middle of really tough conversations that change the topic and change the atmosphere, that shift the atmosphere? Would you answer our prayers? Would you stretch forth your hand to heal and to deliver? Would you give us those, those winsome words of how can, that, that are only come through your Holy Spirit and would you release the miracles the signs and the wonders and the healings that transform everything we pray that in all the darkest offices and work environments that god there would be testimonies of healing testimonies of encounter testimonies of a word of knowledge hitting the nail on the head god and people would come back with everything changed god we ask for this for miracles in the workplace miracles in our government miracles in in big bureaucracies and departments miracles on university campuses and in faculty lounges miracles in the environments where policies are made miracles 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 in the conversion of many can you say in Jesus name Jesus. Amen. Amen. amen amen so god bless you god bless you Go out with joy, be led forth with peace, the mountains and hills will break forth in singing, for you are the sons of God. So, amen.